Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. UX Cake is all about developing the layers you need to be more effective in your work and to be happy and fulfilled in your career. I'm your host, Lee Allen Arredondo, and I'm a UX leader and leadership coach. UX Cake, episode 49 with guest Thomas Watkins. Show me what it means using data visualization to communicate what's most important. Hello, and welcome to UX Cake. Thank you so much for joining me today. So I struggled with whether to put the term data visualization into the title of this episode or not, (laughs) because the term can bring to mind visions of dashboards and numbers and charts, and that isn't actually what we're really focused on here. We're talking today about using data, which everyone in UX should be doing, whether you are in design or research, product, development, marketing, using data in a visual way to communicate the most important information to the person reading it. And making a point using data is something that everyone in UX should be doing on a regular basis. But the term data visualization sounds a little overwhelming to some people in UX if you're not designing dashboards. I decided to go ahead and use the term data visualization because those are the principles, they're well-researched, that we're talking about today. If you create presentations for your design or for your research, if you have any opportunity to use data to explain your design or your research recommendations, this episode is for you. Whether you are data curious or data shy, or you lean in the data geek direction like me. I had such a great time talking with my guest, Thomas Watkins. He is hella smart, and yet I think we did a pretty good job of making this pretty accessible for any level of data interest or data experience. I learned some great guidelines about how to make data visual in more effective ways, and you will too. Even if your eyes glaze over at terms like magnitude comparison or scatterplot, (laughs) stay with me here. I love how Thomas talks about explaining the context of the numbers and not just decorating numbers with meaningless donut graphs, one of my pet peeves. (laughs) Please, please stop using donut graphs. Your audience doesn't know what you're trying to explain. Thomas Watkins is the founder of Three Leaf Consulting, a design collective that combines psychology and design principles to create usable products and services. Thomas is a thought leader, speaker, and industry practitioner in Houston, Texas. The scope of his work has included interface design for mobile, SaaS, system architecture, usability research, and data visualization. All right, let's jump in. Hi, Thomas. Thank you so much for joining me on UX Cake today. I'm really excited to talk to you about visualizing data for more powerful presentations and kind of like data visual visualization in general. Where are you talking to us from today? I am in Houston where I'm based and I'm at the, uh, met the WeWork, one of the WeWork offices. Nice. Yeah. Well, tell us a little bit about what you do in the world of user-centered design and research. 
Yeah, sure. So I'm a UX practitioner and um, I lead a team of, of UX folks. We tackle problems where people are trying to innovate in business. And um, so I work with a lot of startups. I work with a lot of um, companies who are trying to do something new like a startup. And um, we end up learning a lot of kind of like interesting, unique things in that space. And in addition to that, we kind of, um, we do data visualization as well. I am very, very into data visualization and I've kind of been on a personal journey and, or, or a mission for the past, I don't know, I don't know, maybe 10 years or so to bring data visualization more into the consciousness of UX practitioners, because I think that's where it belongs. I think it kind of belongs with UX people. But for some reason, if you go to like data visualization conferences and you kind of see what's going on in that space, it's mainly dominated by kind of technologists and um, a little bit data scientists, but mostly business people who just like making um, fancy graphics. And, um, <laughs> and so I, I think there's a lot of there's, there's a lot of opportunity for growth in that area. And that's something I'm very passionate about. Yeah. I love that you love data. <laughs> I think data is so important. And so that's why I wanted to, you know, talk about this. I know a lot of folks, particularly in design, less so in research, who are a little bit maybe scared of data, maybe they just don't understand it, maybe didn't learn about it in, you know, in their schooling. And I think for designers, it's equally important that we don't have to be data scientists. We don't have to, you know, be uh, like deep into data, but we do need to have data to inform our decisions. And we need to speak about how it informs our decisions and design decisions and research findings. So I'd love to hear a little more about your your passion for data visualization and how did you become so interested in it? Yeah. So the, I'm actually fortunate enough to have, um, so I have a big background in research and I spent years toiling in a graduate school basement dealing with data and um, uh, designing experiments, running participants, um, taking the data off of a floppy disk and loading it into a statistical program and doing that. Um, day in, day out for years. And with that, I had a, I developed a really strong comfort level with data where it wasn't scary for me. So I got um, used to thinking about data in terms of columns and rows, in terms of independent variables and dependent variables, in terms of um, descriptive statistics and things that you need to do to data in order to analyze it. And so when I got out of school and I started working in UX, I did kind of regular UX like everybody else. But then I started getting into data visualization. I had to work on something that caused me to want to read Stephen Few's work. And then I went down a rabbit hole of getting deeply, deeply obsessed with data visualization. It kind of had a little bit of an advantage over maybe the average designer who might not have that kind of background. So when I was learning data visualization and what you're supposed to do with different types of graphs and displays and what process you're supposed to go through with the data, for me, it was quick to pick up. So I think it was a combination for me of both having the interest, having a little bit of that background, being in the UX space and a little bit on that. And then so also for myself, when I did started doing consulting, started designing a lot of dashboards. Mm -hmm. And so when you're dealing with dashboards, of course, you're dealing with a scenario where you have a target user and that target user needs to receive information as a part of their daily decision-making process. 
and you need to optimize it for that. And so as a professional, getting lots of practice designing lots of different dashboards, that put me in a position to kind of you know, gain an understanding of this stuff. So by the time I started kind of teaching this in workshops and trying to evangelize this as something that I think should be one of those things in our toolkit, not that every UX person has to be an expert on it, but Mm -hmm. having it in our toolkit to where it's something you could be an expert on, kind of like accessibility, right? All designers should know something about accessibility, but not everybody's going to be an accessibility buff. Right. And so it's a little bit similar with data visualization. It's its own big space. Everybody can get like a little bit. So they're not being basically good with their data visualization design. But then there's a deeper path for those who are super interested in it. A nice addition to UX teams, right? So if you have a UX team with say, you know, six people, it's kind of nice to have maybe one person on the team who's who's kind of comfortable with that kind of problem. Yeah. And actually that was, you kind of hit on what one of the questions that I had as a follow-up for you about, you know, how much is enough knowledge. Um, You also mentioned a book or an author, Stephen Few. Yes. Can you give us the name of the book? Absolutely. So I think Stephen Few would be the kind of most important and accessible and um, very thorough body of work. And I think I would start with probably Information Dashboard Design by Stephen Pugh. Oh, cool. okay. um, and then he has a number of uh, other books that are that are good that get into different areas and different slices of the data visualization problem. Show me the numbers. Now you see it um, are a few others. It's a perspective that the purpose of data visualization is communication. Okay. And what kind of communication? Well, you're communicating with a person's perceptive and cognitive systems. So you want to craft the visual attributes of your data visualization so that they best speak to our way of perceiving. And so the ultimate goal is I want a person to be able to look at this data display and be able to gain insights very easily. And not just gain insights, but particularly what's important about this data, right? Different data sets have different types of things that are important about them, you know? So for example, for you might be looking at data for stocks and the most important thing might be trending direction and volatility, right? Or you might be comparing the performance of multiple different entities. Most important thing to grasp from it is a quantity comparison. So depending on the type of thing that the person is supposed to get from it, we can actually craft the data display to optimize for someone's ability to see that, to separate the signal from the noise in a particular data set. And that is the perspective that we want to approach as data visualizationists and as UX people who are adopting that as a skill set. We want to learn a little bit about, uh, about how to do that. How do people perceive things? What is the particular use case with the persona and what they need to glean from the data? And ultimately, what are the best practices of how to bring all that together? And we can do a lot of great stuff in the space. 
doing that. Yeah. I think maybe it helps to even bring an example of research so people can, who are listening can sort of visualize what you're talking about. So let's say there's a, there's a data set that you have from user research and the number of people who rated something on, you know, a, a concept, let's say on a scale of one to five or one to 10, and you're trying to communicate something about something meaningful about that data. So just using that as an example, or if you have a, you know, another example, that's better, <laughs> but yeah, just kind of talk, talk to me about that a little bit, how to think about it. I guess if you're, if you're sort of, if you want to say, I want to make this really clear, this, what I'm trying to get at that, you know, most people were kind of neutral. It, you could look at the numbers, right. And say, oh yeah, there's, you know, 30% of the people said it was great, but then let's look at what's, what's the, the rest of the 70%. Correct. Yeah. So, um, so a lot of times what we're trying to do is compare quantities of things. And so when we look at how do we most accurately judge the, the size of a certain thing, we're very accurate if we're talking about like the position of dots or the length of lines. And if you and when I uh, teach data visualization in my workshops, I start off with an exercise where people have to make judgments about different objects and things, and we judge the accuracy, and they're able to see for themselves that we're better at some things than others. One thing that we're bad at is judging the volume of two-dimensional areas, and we're even worse if it gets three-dimensional. We tend mm. to dramatically underestimate, and there's, there's actually equations that can predict how bad we are at this. So that's one thing. If we want people to judge quantities, you know, maybe, for example, a bar graph or a dot plot, not to be confused with a scatter plot, a dot plot where the position of the dot is like the end of the bar graph, you know, that uh, is more effective. And also the other issue is the vocabulary of our data visualization. So people run to pie graphs a lot because it's a very well-known type of graph. But pie graphs are specifically designed for parts of whole information. And that's not always what you're interested in. So mm -hmm. if I have a data set that has, let's say, 100 different categories, and I say, okay, well, we're trying to compare the size of each one, put it in a pie graph. Well, first of all, there's going to be too many slices. Pie graphs don't scale well. You know, maybe take the top 10 or something like that, plot those on bar graphs, and then you're able to compare quantities. You know, there's other problems with pie graphs. You're comparing two-dimensional area. You're comparing, you're mapping angles because of the slices onto quantitative judgments. And we're also bad at that. So it takes a bunch of things that we're bad at and puts it in, into one graph. So, and you know, each type of graph is good at a different thing. Scatter plots are good for showing how correlated two items are. And that's what they're invented for. And that's kind of what you're able to do with it. So it's a little bit about that. It's a little bit about from a design pattern perspective, no different from regular UX, where we want to be aware of existing design patterns, lists versus drop downs versus, you know, other types of things. It's the same thing in data visualization. There's different things, tools you have at your disposal. And, you know, you shouldn't pick it based upon what type of graph is your uh, favorite type of graph as you, you you'll often find yourself in that kind of situation with maybe an executive who likes a certain type of graph and says um you know i like scatter plots or i like bubble charts and um but we have to be there to kind of inform the process and say 
this is what this graph is good at and it's not good at this other thing. So we want to be able to do that. Did you want to do like a specific example, like a specific? I know it's hard because so many of us are visual thinkers. In the <laughs> we're, we're, we're using complete words to, to yeah. describe. <laughs> yeah. So please tell me in words what that would look like. But actually, yeah, could you kind of describe? Well, I have two questions, right? My first question actually is how does one go about figuring out what the right graph for visualization is. And then maybe we can just kind of talk through an example that maybe someone would use, because I'd love to talk about this in a way where people could use this in their presentations. We'll get to that too a little bit more, but you know, how to visualize user research data, for example. So first question, I kind of molded those together. First question mm -hmm. being, how does one find out or figure out what is the right way to represent this visually? And then maybe if you could try to describe visually what it might look like. Yeah, so I would advocate with all of UX and with data visualization as well, start with the persona, considering the persona. User-centered design, who is the recipient of this data? Some things that you might consider there is what are their skill sets, proclivities, and other things like that. Then the scenario, what decisions do they need to make based upon this data display? Mm, yeah, so that's a very, very good point there because like sometimes you have to present this information to program managers or product managers or product owners. And that's very different than presenting to the sales and marketing team and very different than presenting to executives, right? Totally. Yeah. And then if we're talking about the present, uh, presentation, we have the benefit of at least realizing what the main point about this data set is that we want to communicate and designing exactly for that, rather than the more complex situation of designing a dashboard or a situation awareness display where we have to anticipate what the data is might show and design for that, which is, which is more complicated. But then, so if we're talking about presentations, I, th I think that's a good start. You know, who is the audience? Like you said, if it's if it's sales folks, if it's executives, there's different aspects of the data that's interesting. So um, we want to understand the data first as the folks working with the data and look at it and say, okay, what am I trying to communicate? And you want to communicate it in a way that's honest yet gets the point across, right? So you don't right. want to do dishonest things with your graphs, like exaggerate things or make them you know, not to scale <laughs> to make your point. So you, so you, you, want it to, you want it to be honest, and but what you want it to be enlightening. So one of the one of the trends that I, I you know seen a lot for I don't know maybe the past ten years or so, I call it the donut stamp, and it's the um, it's a donut graph with just a number in the in in the middle of it, and you'll see dashboards and very common right where you see like a number and it's just got a label, and it's kind of this perspective that the Data consists of maybe an interesting number that's there to be decorated. And that's a very common approach to data visualization of just saying like a number and then I'm going to decorate it. Mm -hmm. Well, putting together your presentation, instead of decorating your number, surround it not with a decoration, but with context. So what context might be interesting? So if, if we say that our um, our annual revenue was $50 million um, compared to what? 
is it compared to previous years? Is that the interesting thing that we want to communicate? Is it uh, compared to other big players in the industry? You know, are we making some kind of a competitive or a strategic statement with it? What is it that we're trying to, to communicate? So that would be kind of my one major piece of advice that you'll go very far just trying to do that is mm-hmm. plotting the data along with context. That right. makes for a much more interesting and useful data visualization. I can totally see that. <laughs> mm-hmm. Because, and I see this a lot with research findings, especially the team is so wrapped, you know, is so deep in it and they really, they come to conclusions and they, they give these numbers like, okay, but what does that mean? Like that seems significant is significant enough for you to raise it to the level of, you know, an executive summary. Don't make the the audience have to figure out what that means. Totally. So no, no, there's so many things to speak on there because putting on your researcher hat is, is a little bit what you're doing in that case. So uh, like in, I'm thinking in terms of like academic standards around presenting data, you want to set the proper stage, kind of like what you're alluding to. Why should people care? What numbers are kind of expected? Um, I think setting the stage around the, the research in general we need to do that even before getting to the data. And so that's um, kind of what is the research question? You know, why it matters? And then going into, okay, you know, this is what we did and all of that stuff. And then presenting the data in a way that it's just the results are clear. So if it's um, maybe it's, let's say it's results from a Likert scale and the, the strongly disagree to the strongly agree for, for listeners who may not be familiar with the term I use. You want to show a lot of times in those cases, the a summary of how people answered. And here's a couple of things to think about. Um, how do we summarize the data? Because it's really all we're trying to do with data visualization, we're trying to visually summarize it. But even before that, uh, with data thinking, right? Thinking as statisticians, um, not just the design thinking, but the data thinking. How do we give people an idea of what's going on with the data? You have measures of central tendency, and you have measures of distribution. I think these are sometimes, you know, overlooked. We think about mean, median, and mode with measures of central tendency. What did the data tend to do? And then you have your kind of indicators of how, to, how was this data distributed? So range, uh, standard deviation, and things like that. Um, and, you know, if you, if you plot the, distri- you know, in a histogram, you can see the distribution. So imagine that for each question item on your Likert scale, you have, you know, the bar graphs, vertical bar graphs stuck together so that it looks like a distribution with the strongly disagree to strongly agree all plotted together. And then now you can see the shape of the data, how people answered and draw like a line vertically where the mean is usually you're going to be using mean for that so that people can see. So now you're not just saying like, well, the average person said, oh, they agree with this statement. Well, you could see agree, but you get the richer context of how did people generally answer? And then this is, you know, where people landed. Now people can see parts of the data that might not have been reported. Like, is it bimodal or is it like heavily skewed and, and things like that. So presenting the results, setting the audience up to where they're going to be able to 
they're ready for the results, right? They, they're ready to perceive it. And then, and then marching through the results is the way to do it. Here's another tip. Um, another thing that we don't do often enough, folks in general don't do it often enough, is they just, uh, they don't give the proper orientation around how to read the graph. They throw the graph up, the audience is kind of stand, sitting there staring at the screen and kind of looking at it and kind of trying to interpret it. Throw up the graph and say what it is. Even if it feels obvious, it's a good way to orient people. Tell people the x-axis is showing the responses. The y-axis is showing how many people responded to each one. Boom. Now you've added so much more clarity and taking, taken so many question marks out of people's heads and got it to where they can now, now they're where mm -hmm. you are, where you're, yeah. they're interpreting the data. Right. Even if it's labeled, like you're talking, even about, if it's like, labeled. as you're talking through it, just like actually speak that's right. to what, what it is you're. That's right. That's right. As soon as you throw up the graph, say like, say, oh, this is the such and such graph, the title of the graph. You might say what the graph is. And um, this is a time series showing number of sales across three departments over the past two quarters. And, you know. And then, oh, okay, time series. Now they know kind of a little bit about it. And then um, the y-axis is showing number of scales. And was, okay, so now everybody's now everybody's on the same page. And that goes a long way to pre on presenting data. Mm -hmm. One of the things that you kind of alluded to, which is like what I love about data and looking at kind of the anomalies in data. So you mentioned like a Likert scale and you've got showing the median, I think is what you said. And then you sort of like hurriedly said, you know, and then, you know, there might be interesting skews in data or, you know, some other anomalies, which actually is, is what a lot of people miss, right? And so I just want to make sure that we talk about looking for the interesting story in data and then telling that interesting story in data in a visual way. Excellent point. Um, I guess, yeah, and I'll just hand it to you, but I, I think sometimes it's really, you would get us a very different story if you just did the mean and you didn't show, oh, everybody either, either loved it or hated it. You know, it's sort of like, it's actually- That's, that's right, yeah, yeah, no one was in the middle right. and, and yeah, everyone was on the sides, right? <laughs> yeah, that's, that's an excellent point and yeah, it's, it's, so this is just a really good subtopic of it because it also speaks to the one of the advantages to being able to present the data versus the complexity is around designing a data display where the data is going to be different and vary each time. You can get familiar with the data and you can find out what you think is interesting about it and highlight it. Highlight it in the actual uh, data display, circle things, um, point to things, and show people why they should um, care. Now, you know, hopefully you're not doing it in a deceptive right. way, right. and hopefully folks in the audience are informed enough to be able to see, see the data also for themselves. But in terms of communicating insights, what you're doing is you're, you're giving folks the point that you want them to get the same way they would receive it if you just wrote a report or something like that, but they're also seeing the context of the real data. And so that's kind of one way of handling that. So that might be like in a line graph where there's a, a big spike at some certain point and people can see it, but then you might, you know, kind of highlight mm -hmm. what that is. Yeah. So changes in trends, you know, and other things like that. But yeah, pre uh, presenting it is a good opportunity to be able to do that. 
Yeah. You mentioned earlier about instead of decorating numbers, I loved how you put that, instead of decorating numbers, showing the context. Do you have any, can you give us any more sort of examples of how someone might do that visually? Yeah. So there's the donut stamp. That's a um, one big example. I think the biggest example I can think of is uh, right now is benchmarking, showing a set of magnitudes or something like that. And, and you're saying like, um, let's let's say you're showing the, you know, the, our, our sales for this year, or um, I don't know, number of downloads or something like this. You might not even have the data that to compare it to, but you can oftentimes find it. Sometimes you can generate the data if you have at your organization, if you have access to the folks who, you know, maybe you have a data science department or something like that. Ask people if they have, if they collect data on anything. And sometimes you can find stuff. Sometimes you can go to those, um, like those Gartner media reports and things mm-hmm. like that and find, you know, industry averages for things like that find data and it, it now this gets a little bit tricky because you'd have to make sure that you understand enough about the data that you're doing apples to apples right comparisons right. sometimes it's you want to think first about what matters and you know why should it matter you know we hear um uh oftentimes like you know in the news you'll hear like big numbers this will add you know, such and such a billion dollars to the deficit. Oh my gosh, that sounds like a big, big number. Is, it, is that a right. big number? I don't know. It sounds big, but I have no, I have no idea whether that's right. big. But you see that happen all the time, where the magnitude, or the, you know, there was a seven hundred percent increase in such and such uh-huh. compared to right. what is? Does it normally uh, vary like that? Is it is that wild or more wild than before? That's part of the integrity of dis- discussing and communicating data is getting in the habit of giving context. So it's the integrity plus the clarity and helping people really be able to interpret things in the proper way. Yeah, I love that you also mentioned going out and finding data, like secondary <laughs> sources of data. There's so much information out there <laughs> that it, it can take some digging if you don't have access to like a paid source of industry standards, but there are paid sources of industry standards out there as well. So yeah, going out and and finding secondary data that you could use as a benchmark is is can be super helpful. Like okay, so we're seeing this sort of behavioral data, right, in our on our website. You know, is that good or bad? Right. <laughs> Percentages can be really deceiving when you're talking about something like any kind of you know, behavioral information on a website. It could be like we have three percent right. conversion. Is that good? <laughs> That's right. And then and then and then here's here's another one. Sometimes you have to calculate the data based on something that's already being collected. And I'll give you an example. With a lot of startups, when they're bootstrapping and just trying to get the code built, they'll collect data that's collected in like a logging sense, but not uh, set up for BI. So here's an example. Let's, Let's take your example of like website conversions. What you might see is like, you might be gathering how many customers ever have bought something. And what they might have on the back end is just an ever accumulating number. Like each new purchase just adds to the total. And then that's, that's the only metric that they have. <laughs> and then, and then getting the other, you know, it might be like surprisingly complex to build the back end to be able to collect that. 
Um, and there's a lot of things like that in, in the startup space. You'd be surprised like how many just like, it's just logging and, and ever growing accumulation. Or you can calculate something more useful from that, even though the data science department says they don't have those numbers. You can take that number and then divide it by, you know, how many folks per time period converted on our, on our service. And then you're able to now have metrics that are more meaningful. You could say that, you know, 70 people per day bought something on the website, you know, this year on average versus last year when it was 30 people right. per day. Now you're able to get something meaningful from it. So then that's where I, you know, I talk a lot about, about data thinking where you have to think design thinking, not only for the data insights and how to put it together and how to design the graphs and so forth, but you also might have to engage in data thinking. So you, uh, you have some massive data that's being collected what are the things that you can do to the data to get the numbers that you want? Um, another example of data thinking might be um, computing ratios, because a lot of times what might matter is a ratio. We deal with ratios all the time, but we don't necessarily think about it. Like um, uh, when you drive down the street, miles per hour, that's, that's a ratio, right? And, it, and, it's, and it's meaningful, and that's how you get a rate. So sometimes that's another interesting thing you can do with the data is, is say like, okay, well, this thing by itself kind of matters, but not much without context. This other thing matters. But if I do sales per such and such, well, now I have a ratio or how many conversions compared to marketing dollars spent, you know, spent on a campaign. Now I have this meaningful ratio that built in has the relationship between two different things that I care about and automatically tells me the relationship between those two factors. So that's a lot of data thinking that kind of plays a role in being able to do data communication effectively. Mm. Data thinking. <laughs> I, I was just, the thought that came in my head is that sounds scary for someone who, you know, maybe doesn't yeah. already yeah. think data is cool. Yeah. <laughs> I am curious, like for the folks who take your workshop, like what tends to be one of the like biggest, is there anything that, that people find surprising that they thought was going to be kind of like, Ooh, scary. And, and it turns out like what, what makes that shift? Yeah. I, th I think a lot of it is realizing how ineffective the kind of impulsive first response of how would I visualize this data often can be and how it's not that complicated to pick something that's like way more, way more effective. You know, one of the things that we've got to think about when we visualize data is we're not making diagrams, we're plotting points. So like a lot of times you might be in a business meeting, someone goes up to the board and they say like, well, here's how I see us versus the competitors. And then they'll start, they'll draw a quadrant and then they'll put uh, dots that represent the different players in the, and then they, and so that's fine for a diagram for you just drawing something because you're kind of showing a relationship. But if you're thinking about data visualization, you've got to prioritize how does the quantity of the of different data points get encoded visually in a way that the meaningful thing comes out. So if I'm comparing the magnitude of different things, I want to. A graph that maximizes that. So bar graphs are very good at that. If I want to show, mm -hmm. if I want to show the shape of something, I might choose a line graph because that's something that I pre-attentively can get a 
gestalt of how is this thing shaped. And so if I'm trying to show trends or something like that, then, you know, a line graph will often be very effective for that. Or if I'm trying to show the um, relationship between two variables, a correlation, you know, scatter plot might be the most effective depending on, on exactly what you're doing. But where you can see instant, instantly perceived features of the graph are apparent right away. And now it's just a matter of just being properly oriented so that your, you know, your perception is directed in the right direction. But I think, uh, I think once folks kind of get used to it, it's kind of fun. But, it, but if I had to boil it down to kind of takeaways that I think if you're not such a big data person, some things that you can think about, I would say measures of central tendency. To, so giving people an idea of what is the data generally doing. So mean, median, and mode, usually mean, aka average. Uh, median is used for data sets where there are extreme examples that will skew the data so that it's no longer representative. That's why median often used for things like income, because you have a few number, small number of celebrities and super, super rich people who would, would drag the, the line too far over. So you use median because it's robust against extremes, like, like things like that. Giving people an idea of what did the general data generally do measure of central tendency, then a measure of distribution. How is this? Uh, so you can either display it in some kind of a distribution. Standard deviation is a little bit sophisticated for maybe the average audience that may not be that into the academics of it, but I think most will kind of get it. Range is a simple one, but not as descriptive. But I think getting um, this area is called descriptive statistics uh, for the listeners. And um, if you just get the basic descriptive statistics, that's usually fairly good for giving people a good impression of it, and then and then plotting it in a way that that um, that it can be understood. Yeah. So for someone who is interested in having more effective displays of data, how could they learn without like? diving into, I, I gotta say Tufty, Tufty's books are yeah, dense. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I'm not sure about the other author that you mentioned, but like, yeah. how could someone kind of figure out, okay, I have some data. What is the right way to display this, you know, like based on the principles that you've been talking about, the principles of perception. One thing that they can do, they can sign up for my workshop, which will be at uh, UXPA International 2022 in San Diego. But if you, if you don't have time for that, and if that's not on yeah. your schedule, yeah. um, there, are, there, there are some, the tricky thing is finding things that are really, that you can trust. And by trust, I mean coming from a perspective that is that is uh, correct. I'm I'm looking up right now. Stephen View did kind of like this one page cheat sheet that kind of gets you pretty far. And I'm trying to look up the name of it because Ooh, I nice. use it a lot. Yeah, yeah. And we can for sure put links in the show notes. Yes. And so I found there's there's some there's some bad cheat sheets that I do not recommend. But there's there's some oh, good, good ones. To know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's, there's one that's called a conversation starter that floated around for years. It's called Chart Suggestions, a Thought Starter. It looks interesting. And that's the but don't good use one. It. Yeah, that's, that's the bad one. Oh, anyway. okay. So, so yeah, that, yeah, don't yes. use the... don't don't no, don't use that one. What you want to use is if you want to cheat sheet, there is Graph Selection Matrix by Stephen Few, Perceptual Edge. Here's a bigger problem, I think. It's the 
preference, political aspect, the um, preference of the person seeing it. You mean? No, the the preference of the the folks who work above you often who will have their own favorite types of graphs, favorite types of displays. They want things to be flashy and colorful. And there's this misconception that if you don't make your data display flashy and colorful and interesting enough, that people won't be engaged with it. And that's an incorrect mm. assumption. Mm. The easy example I like to give to people is, let's say that you woke up one morning and you logged into your bank account, and then you saw that your bank account had a million dollars in it. You'd be very excited. You don't need the text for one million to be flashing or moving or colorful <laughs> in order for that to be, because it's, it's something that's, it's data that's already very meaningful to you. And so you don't need the decoration. And so it's really, the engagement is really about finding things that matter to people, presenting that and highlighting the things about the data that will be that will be engaging to the end. And, and I promise you every single time, no matter what the recipients, no matter what their job role is, their job title, whether it's blue collar work, white collar, no matter what kind of, if you show somebody a dashboard or a display that shows metrics that are important to their day-to-day -day work, they will interpret it. And if there's something interesting going on there that's, that would be meaningful and meaningful in real life and you're plotting it on the data display, it will be interesting to them. Because that's how people mm. that's how people perceive it, and so I think a lot of that is really one of the biggest hurdles is working with executives. A lot of it is going to be an educational process, and so doing some testing along with it, saying, "Hey, we showed this to the actual users; it, it performed well with people being able to use it, with people being engaged, and having some of that stuff to kind of back it up will help get over those hurdles if you have you know open-minded people in your organization. But that is very often a a little bit of a battle that needs to be to be fought. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that seems like a really <laughs> pretty important takeaway, which is find out what's actually most meaningful to the audience that you're showing the data to. Exactly. And then it it will be and 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 then takeaway number two is make sure that you are having the context. That's right. That's right. That's right. That makes it meaningful. That like, makes what it does meaningful, it mean? <laughs> where people are able to get it and get insights and um, creates a lot of interesting conversations around the data as well. I love that conversations around the data. So in summary, you gave us some resources and I'll have a link um, to that graph selection matrix for like a cheat sheet. That mm -hmm. sounds awesome. You mentioned that you've got a, a workshop coming up. Tell us just a bit about how people can find out about what you're, what you've got going on. Cause you do workshops occasionally. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you can, uh, three leaf dot consulting and that, that's a three leaf dot yeah. consulting. Yeah. Three okay. leaf. Yeah. The number three and then, uh, the word leaf. Dot consulting. Find me on LinkedIn, Thomas Watkins. Yeah, in the the workshop that I mentioned, it's kind of designed for business professionals and UX designers, and covering what are some of the approaches we want to make for effective graphs for presentations, for dashboards, and for data discovery platforms. What should we be thinking about, and what techniques can we use? And we do, we practice examples where we redesign poorly constructed graphs, practice redesigning them, discuss them as a group, and practice taking data 
and materializing that into data visualizations and discussing the pros and cons of different approaches and getting it to where we get an increasing comfort with the practice of data visualization. Uh, that sounds like such a great opportunity for anybody who can take that workshop. I think you mentioned when we talked before that you also do workshops sometimes in your area. Correct. Correct. Yeah. So I, I talk a lot about design psychology and the importance of when we're designing products, when we're solving problems, thinking about things in a very user-centric, you know, human-centered design where we're taking into account an understanding of how are people constructed and generally, and then how are is your user uh, specifically and considering all those kinds of factors when we're designing things, designing products that need to meet people's needs and need to resonate with users. And that's in Houston? Yes. Where you do these talks? Uh, uh, mostly I travel around, but yes, I'm situated in Houston. Thank you so much, Thomas. Thank this you. Has been, I really enjoyed our conversation. Likewise. And um, thank you so much for sharing with the audience. Absolutely. Hey, if you enjoyed this slice of UX cake, please rate it and subscribe. Tell others what you liked about it. It really helps us spread the word and get this free content to more people. You can follow UX cake on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Instagram, and get all the episodes and show notes at uxcake.co. Thank you for listening and sharing the UX cake.